Our goal that sent me to sleep is to help the world get a good night's rest. Everyone deserves that. So if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 8 and 9 of Tick-Tock of Oz by L. Frank Baum. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 8 Tick-Tock Tackles a Tough Task While Shaggy and his companions stood huddled in a group at one side, the army of Oogaboo was approaching along the pathway, the tramp of their feet being now and then accompanied by a dismal groan as one of the officers stepped on a sharp stone or knocking his funny bone against his neighbour's sword handle. Then out from among the trees marched private files, bearing the banner of Oogaboo, which fluttered from a long pole. This pole he stuck in the ground, just in front of the well, and then he cried in a loud voice, I hereby conquer this territory in the name of Queen and so forth of Oogaboo, and all the inhabitants of the land I proclaim her slaves. Some of the officers now stuck their heads out of the bushes and asked, Is the coast clear, Private Files? There is no coast here, was the reply, but all is well. I hope there's water in it, said General Cone, mustering courage to advance to the well. But just then he caught a glimpse of Tick-Tock and Shaggy and at once fell upon his knees, trembling and frightened, and cried out, Mercy, kind enemies, mercy. Spare us, and we will be your slaves forever. The other officers, who had now advanced into the clearing, likewise fell upon their knees and begged for mercy. Files turned around and, seeing the strangers for the first time, examined them with much curiosity. Then, discovering that three of the party were girls, he lifted his cap and made a polite bow. 
What's all this? demanded the harsh voice, as Queen Anne reached the place and beheld her kneeling army. Permit us to introduce ourselves, replied Shaggy, stepping forward. This is Tick-Tock, the clockwork man, who works better than some meat people. And here is Princess Osga of Roseland, just now unfortunately exiled from her kingdom of roses. I next present Polychrome, a sky fairy, who lost her bow by an accident and can't find her way home. The small girl here is Betsy Bobbin, from some unknown earthly paradise called Oklahoma, and with her you see Mr. Hank, a mule with a long tail and a short temper. Puh, said Anne scornfully. A pretty lot of vagabonds you are, indeed, all lost or strayed, I suppose, and not worth the Queen's plundering. I'm sorry I've conquered you. But you haven't conquered us yet, called Betsy indignantly. No, agreed Files, that is a fact. But if my officers will kindly command me to conquer you, I will do so at once, after which we can stop arguing and converse more at our ease. The officers had by this time risen from their knees and brushed the dust from their trousers. To them the enemy did not look very fierce, so the generals and colonels and majors and captains gained courage to face them and began strutting in the most haughty manner. You must understand, said Anne, that I am the Queen of Oogaboo, and this is my invincible army. We are busy conquering the world, and since you seem to be a part of the world, and are obstructing our journey, it is necessary for us to conquer you, unworthy though you may be of such a high honour. That's all right, replied Shaggy. Conquer us as often as you like, we don't mind. But we won't be anybody's slaves added Betsy politely. We'll see about that, retorted the Queen angrily. Advance private files and bind the enemy hand and foot. But private files looked at pretty Betsy and fascinating Polychrome and beautiful Rose Princess and shook his head. It would be impolite, and I won't do it, he asserted. You must, cried Anne. It is your duty to obey orders. I haven't received any orders from my officers, 
objected the private. But the generals now shouted, Forward and bind the prisoners, and the colonels and majors and captains repeated the command, yelling it as loud as they could. All this noise annoyed Hank, who had been eyeing the army of Oogaboo with strong disfavour. The mule now dashed forward and began backing upon the officers and kicking fierce and dangerous heels at them. The attack was so sudden that the officers scattered like dust in a whirlwind, dropping their swords as they ran and trying to seek refuge behind the trees and bushes. Betsy laughed joyously at the comical rout of the noble army, and Polychrome danced with glee. But Anne was furious at this ignoble defeat of her gallant forces by one small mule. Private Files, I command you to do your duty, she cried again and then she herself ducked to escape the mule's heels, for Hank made no distinction in favour of a lady who was an open enemy. Betsy grabbed her champion by the forelock, however, and so held him fast, and when the officers saw that the mule was restrained from further attacks, they kept fearfully back and picked up their discarded swords. Private files, seize and bind these prisoners, screamed the queen. No, said files, throwing down his gun and removing the knapsack which was strapped to his back. I resign my position as the army of Oogaboo. I enlist to fight the enemy and become a hero. But if you want someone to bind harmless girls, you will have to hire another private. Then he walked over to the others and shook hands with Shaggy and Tick-Tock. Treason, shrieked Anne, and all of the officers echoed her cry. Nonsense, said Files. I've the right to resign if I want to. Indeed you haven't, retorted the Queen. If you resign, it will break up my army, and then I cannot conquer the world. She now turned to the officers and said, I must ask you to do me a favour. I know it is undignified in officers to fight, but unless you immediately capture private files and force him to obey my orders, there will be no plunder for any of us. Also, it is likely you will all suffer the pangs of hunger, and when we meet a powerful foe, you are liable to be captured 
and made slaves. The prospect of this awful fate so frightened the officers that they drew their swords and rushed upon Files, who stood beside Shaggy in a truly ferocious manner. The next instant, however, they halted again, fell upon their knees, for there, before them, was the glistening love magnet, held in the hand of the smiling shaggy man, and the sight of this magic talisman at once won the heart of every Oogabooite. Even Anne saw the love magnet, and forgetting all enmity and anger, threw herself upon Shaggy and embraced him lovingly. Quite disconcerted by this unexpected effect of the magnet, Shaggy disengaged himself from the Queen's encircling armies and quickly hid the talisman in his pocket. The adventurers from Oogaboo were now his firm friends, and there was no more talk about conquering and binding any of his party. If you insist on conquering anyone, said Shaggy, you may march with me to the underground kingdom of Ruggedo. To conquer the world, as you have set out to do, you must conquer everyone under its surface as well as upon its surface, and no one in all the world needs conquering so much as Ruggedo. Who is he? asked Anne. The Metal Monarch, King of the Gnomes. Is he rich? inquired Major Stockings in an anxious voice. Of course, answered Shaggy. He owns all the metal that lies underground. Gold, silver, copper, brass and tin. He has an idea he also owns all the metals above ground, for he says all metal was once a part of his kingdom. So by conquering the metal monarch, you will win all of the riches in the world. Ah, exclaimed General Apple, heaving a deep sigh. That would be plunder worth our while. Let's conquer him, your majesty. The queen looked reproachfully at Files, who was sitting next to the lovely princess and whispering in her ear. Alas, said Queen Anne, I have no longer an army. I have plenty of brave officers, indeed, but no private soldier for them to command. Therefore, I cannot conquer Ruggedo and win all his wealth. Why don't you make one of your officers the private? asked Shaggy. But at once, every officer began to protest, and the Queen of Oogaboo shook her head 
as she replied, That is impossible. A private soldier must be a terrible fighter, and my officers are unable to fight. They are exceptionally brave in commanding others to fight, but could not themselves meet the enemy and conquer. Very true, your majesty, said Colonel Plum eagerly. There are many kinds of bravery, and one cannot be expected to possess them all. I myself am brave as a lion in all ways until it comes to fighting. But then my nature revolts. Fighting is unkind and liable to be injurious to others, so, being a gentleman, I never fight. Nor I, shouted each of the other officers. You see, said Anne, how helpless I am. Had not Private Files proved himself a traitor and a deserter, I would gladly have conquered this regedo. But an army without a private soldier is like a bee without a stinger. I am not a traitor, your majesty, protested Files. I resigned in a proper manner, not liking the job. But there are plenty of people to take my place. Why not make Shaggy Man a private soldier? He might be killed, said Anne, looking tenderly at Shaggy, for he is mortal and able to die. If anything happened to him, it would break my heart. It would hurt me worse than that, declared Shaggy. You must admit, Your Majesty, that I am commander of this expedition, for it is my brother we are seeking, rather than plunder. But I and my companions would like the assistance of your army, and if you help us to conquer Ruggedo, and to rescue my brother from captivity, we will allow you to keep all the gold and jewels and other plunder you may find. This prospect was so tempting that the officers began whispering together, and presently Colonel Cheese said, Your Majesty, by combining our brains, we have just evolved the most brilliant idea. We will make the clockwork man the private soldier. Who? Me? asked Tick-Tock. Not for a single second. I cannot fight. And you must not forget that it was Ruggedo who threw me in the well. At that time you had no gun, said Polychrome. But if you join the army of Oogaboo, you will carry the gun that Mr. Files used. A soldier must be able to run as well as fight, 
protested Tick-Tock, and if my works run down, as they do of ten do, I could neither run nor fight. I'll keep you wound up, Tick-Tock, promised Betsy. Why, it isn't a bad idea, said Shaggy. Tick-Tock will make an ideal soldier, for nothing can injure him except a sledgehammer, and since a private soldier seems to be necessary for this army, Tick-Tock is the only one of our party fitted to undertake the job. What must I do? asked Tick-Tock. Obey orders, replied Anne. When the officers command you to do anything, you must do it. That is all. And that's enough too, said Files. Do I get a salary? inquired Tick-Tock. You get your share of the plunder, answered the Queen. Yes, remarked Files. One half of the plunder goes to Queen Anne. The other half is divided among the officers, and the private gets the rest. That will be satisfactory, said Tick-Tock, picking up the gun and examining it wonderingly, for he had never before seen such a weapon. Then Anne strapped the knapsack to Tick-Tock's copper back and said, Now we are ready to march to Regedo's kingdom and conquer it. Officers, give the command to march. Fall in, yelled the generals, drawing their swords. Fall in, cried the colonels, drawing their swords. Fall in, shouted the majors, drawing their swords. Fall in, bawled the captains, drawing their swords. Tick-Tock looked at them and then around him in surprise. Fall in what? The well, he asked. No, said Queen Anne, you must fall in marching order. Cannot I march without falling into it? asked the clockwork man. Shoulder your gun and stand ready to march, advised Files. So Tick-Tock held the gun straight and stood still. What next? he asked. The queen turned to Shaggy. Which road leads to the Metal Monarch's cavern? We don't know, Your Majesty, was the reply. But this is absurd, said Anne with a frown. If we can't get to Ruggedo, it is certain that we can't conquer him. You are right, admitted Shaggy, but I did not say we could not get to him. We have only to discover the way, and that was the matter we were considering 
when you and your magnificent army arrived here. Well then, get busy and discover it, snapped the queen. That was no easy task. They all stood looking from one road to another in perplexity. The paths radiated from the little clearing like the rays of the midday sun, and each path seemed like all the others. Files and the Rose Princess, who had by this time become good friends, advanced a little way along one of the roads and found that it was bordered by pretty wild flowers. Why don't you ask the flowers to tell you the way, he said to his companion. The flowers, returned the princess, surprised at the question. Of course, said Files, the field flowers must be second cousins to a rose princess, and I believe if you ask them they will tell you. She looked more closely at the flowers. There were hundreds of white daisies, golden buttercups, bluebells and daffodils growing by the roadside, and each flower head was firmly set upon its slender but stout stem. There were even a few wild roses scattered here and there, and perhaps it was the sight of these that gave the princess courage to ask the important question. She dropped to her knees, facing the flowers, and extended both her arms pleadingly towards them. Tell me, pretty cousins, she said in her sweet, gentile voice, which way will lead us to the kingdom of Ruggedo, the gnome king? At once, all the stems bent gracefully to the right, and the flower heads nodded once and twice and thrice in that direction. That's it, cried Files joyfully. Now we know the way. Oscar rose to her feet and looked wonderingly at the field of flowers, which had now resumed their upright position. Was it the wind, do you think? she asked in a whisper. No, indeed, replied Files. There is not a breath of wind stirring. But these lovely blossoms are indeed your cousins and answered your question at once, as I knew they would. Chapter 9 Ruggedo's Rage is Rash and Reckless The way taken by the adventurers led uphill and down dale and wound here and there in a fashion that seemed aimless. 
but always it drew nearer to a range of low mountains, and Files said more than once that he was certain the entrance to Regedo's cave would be found among these rugged hills. In this he was quite correct. Far underneath the nearest mountain was a gorgeous chamber, hollowed from the solid rock, the walls and roof of which glittered with thousands of magnificent jewels. Here, on a throne of virgin gold, sat the famous gnome king, dressed in splendid robes and wearing a superb crown cut from a single blood-red ruby. Ruggedo, the monarch of all the metals and precious stones of the underground world, was a round little man with a flowing white beard, a red face, bright eyes, and a scowl that covered all his forehead. One would think, to look at him, that he ought to be jolly. One might think, considering his enormous wealth, that he ought to be happy. But this was not the case. The metal monarch was surly and cross because mortals had dug so much treasure out of the earth and kept it above ground, where all the power of Ruggedo and his gnomes were unable to recover it. He hated not only the mortals, but also the fairies who lived upon the earth or above it and instead of being content with the riches he still possessed, he was unhappy because he did not own all the gold and jewels in the world. Ruggedo had been nodding, half asleep, in his chair, when suddenly he sat upright, uttering a roar of rage and began pounding upon a huge gong that stood besides him. The sound filled the vast cavern and penetrated to many caverns beyond, where countless thousands of gnomes were working at their unending tasks, hammering out gold and silver and other metals or melting ores in great furnaces, or polishing glittering gems. The gnomes trembled at the sound of the king's gong, and whispered fearfully to one another that something unpleasant was sure to happen, but none dared pause in his task. The heavy curtains of cloth of gold were pushed aside, and Calico, the king's high chamberlain, entered the royal presence. What's up, your majesty? he asked, with a wide yawn, for he had just wakened. Up, roared Ruggedo, stamping his foot viciously. Those foolish mortals are up. 
That's what. They want to come down. Down here? inquired Calico. Yes. How do you know? continued the Chamberlain, yawning again. I feel it in my bones, said Ruggedo. I can always feel it when those hateful earth crawlers draw near to my kingdom. I am positive, Calico, that the mortals are this very minute on their way here to annoy me, and I hate mortals more than I do catnip tea. Well, what's to be done? demanded the gnome. Look through your spyglass and see where the invaders are, commanded the king. So Calico went to a tube in the wall of rock and put his eye to it. The tube ran from the cavern up to the side of the mountain and turned several curves and corners. But as it was a magic spyglass, Calico was able to see through it just as easily as if it had been straight. Ho hum, said he. I see em, your majesty. What do they look like? inquired the monarch. That's a hard question to answer, for a queerer assortment of creatures I never yet beheld replied the gnome. However, such a collection of curiosities may prove dangerous. There's a copper man, worked by machinery. Bah, that's only Tick-Tock, said Ruggedo. I'm not afraid of him. Why, only the other day I met the fellow and threw him down a well. Then someone must have pulled him out again, said Calico. And there's a little girl. Dorothy? asked Ruggedo, jumping up in fear. No, some other girl. In fact, there are several girls of various sizes. But Dorothy is not with them, nor is Ozma. That's good, exclaimed the king, sighing in relief. Calico still had his eye to the spyglass. I see, said he, an army of men from Oogaboo. They are all officers and carry swords. And there is a shaggy man, who seems very harmless, and a little donkey with big ears. Pooh, cried Ruggedo, snapping his fingers in scorn. I've no fear of such a mob as that. A dozen of my gnomes can destroy them all in a jiffy. I'm not so sure of that, said Calico. The people of Oogaboo are hard to destroy. And I believe the Rose Princess is a fairy. 
As for Polychrome, you know very well that the Rainbow's daughters cannot be injured by a gnome. Polychrome, is she among them? asked the king. Yes, I have just recognized her. Then these people are coming here on no peaceful errand, declared Ruggedo, scowling fiercely. In fact, no one ever comes here on a peaceful errand. I hate everybody, and everybody hates me. Very true, said Calico. I must in some way prevent these people from reaching my dominion. Where are they now? Just now they are crossing the rubber country, your majesty. Good. Are your magnetic rubber wires in working order? I think so, replied Calico. Is it your royal will? that we have some fun with these invaders. It is, answered Ruggedo. I want to teach them a lesson they will never forget. Now, Shaggy had no idea that he was in a rubber country, nor had any of his companions. They noticed that everything around them was of a dull, grey colour, and that the path upon which they walked was soft and springy. Yet they had no suspicion that the rocks and trees were rubber, and even the path they trod was made of rubber. Presently they came to a brook where sparkling water dashed through a deep channel and rushed away between high rocks, far down the mountainside. Across the brook were stepping stones, so placed that travellers might easily leap from one to another, and in that manner crossed the water to the farther bank. Tick-Tock was marching ahead, followed by his officers and Queen Anne. After them came Betsy Bobbin and Hank, Polychrome and Shaggy, and last of all, the Rose Princess and Files. The clockwork man saw the stream and the stepping stones, and, without making a pause, placed his foot upon the first stone. The result was astonishing. First he sank down in the soft rubber, which then rebounded and sent Tick-Tock soaring high in the air, where he turned a succession of flip-flops and alighted upon a rubber rock far in the rear of the party. General Apple did not see Tick-Tock bound, so quickly had he disappeared. Therefore, he also stepped upon the stone, which you will guess was connected with Calico's magnetic rubber wire, and instantly shot upwards like an arrow. 
General Cone came next and met with a like fate. But the others now noticed that something was wrong, and with one accord they halted the column and looked back along the path. There was Tick-Tock, still bounding from one rubber rock to another, each time rising a less distance from the ground. And there was General Apple, bounding away in another direction, his three-cornered hat jammed over his eyes, and his long sword thumping him upon the arms and head as it swung this way and that. And there, also, appeared General Cone, who had struck a robber rock head foremost, and was so crumpled up that his round body looked more like a pouncing ball than the form of a man. Betsy laughed merrily at the strange sight, and Polychrome echoed her laughter. But Oscar was grave and wondering, while Queen Anne became angry at seeing the chief officers of the army of Oogaboo bounding around in so undignified a manner. She shouted to them to stop, but they were unable to obey, even though they would have been glad to do so. Finally, however, they all ceased bounding and managed to get up upon their feet and rejoin the army. Why did you do that? demanded Anne, who seemed greatly provoked. Don't ask them why, said Shaggy earnestly. I knew you would ask them why, but you ought not to do it. The reason is plain. Those stones are rubber, therefore they are not stones. These rocks around us are rubber, and therefore they are not rocks. Even this path is not a path, it's rubber. Unless we are very careful, your majesty, we are all likely to get the bounce, just as your poor officers and Tick-Tock did. Then let's be careful, remarked Files, who was full of wisdom. But Polychrome wanted to test the quality of the rubber, so she began to dance. Every step sent her higher and higher into the air, so that she resembled the big butterfly fluttering lightly. Presently, she made a great bound and bounded way across the stream, landing lightly and steadily on the other side. There is no rubber over here, she called to them. Suppose you all try to bound over the stream without touching the stepping stones. Anne and her officers were reluctant to undertake such a risky adventure, but Betsy at once grasped the value of the suggestion and began jumping up and down 
until she found herself bounding almost as high as Polychrome had done. Then she suddenly leaned forward, and the next bound took her easily across the brook, where she alighted by the side of Rainbow's daughter. Come on, Hank, called the girl, and the donkey tried to obey. He managed to bound pretty high, but when he tried to bound across the stream, he misjudged the distance and fell with a splash in the middle of the water. He whore, he wailed, struggling towards the far bank. Betsy rushed forward to help him out, but when the mule stood safely beside her, she was amazed to find he was not wet at all. It's dry water, said Polychrome, dripping her hand into the stream and showing how the water fell from it and left it perfectly dry. In that case, returned Betsy, they can all walk through the water. She called to Oscar and Shaggy to wade across, assuring them the water was shallow and would not wet them. At once they followed her advice, avoiding the rubber-stepping stones, and made the crossing with ease. This encouraged the entire party to wade through the dry water, and in a few minutes all had assembled on the bank and renewed their journey along the path that led to the Gnome King's dominions. When Calico again looked through his magic spyglass, he exclaimed, Bad luck, your majesty. All the invaders have passed the rubber country and now are fast approaching the entrance to your caverns. Ruggedo raved and stormed at the news, and his anger was so great that several times, as he strode up and down his jeweled cavern, he paused to kick Calipo upon his shins, which were so sensitive that the poor gnome howled with pain. Finally, the king said, There's no help for it. We must drop these audacious invaders down the hollow tube. Calico gave a jump at this and looked at his master wonderingly. If you do that, your majesty, he said, you will make Tititi Hoochoo very angry. Never mind that, retorted Ruggedo. Tititi Hoochoo lives on the other side of the world, so what do I care for his anger? Calico shuddered and uttered a little groan. Remember his terrible powers, he pleaded and remember that he warned you the last time you slid people through the hollow tube, that if you did it again, he would take vengeance upon you. 
the metal monarch walked up and down in silence, thinking deeply. Of two dangers, said he, it is wise to choose the least. What do you suppose these invaders want? Let the long-eared hearer listen to them, suggested Calico. Call him here at once, commanded Ruggedo eagerly. So in a few minutes there entered the cavern a gnome with enormous ears, who bowed low before the king. Strangers are approaching, said Ruggedo, and I wish to know their errand. Listen carefully to their talk, and tell me why they are coming here, and for what. The gnome bowed again, and spread out his great ears, swaying them gently up and down and back and forth. For half an hour he stood silent, in an attitude of listening, while both the king and Calico grew impatient at the delay. At last the long-eared hearer spoke. The shaggy man is coming here to rescue his brother from captivity, said he. Ha! The ugly one! exclaimed Ruggedo. Well, Shaggy Man may have his ugly brother, for all I care. He's too lazy to work, and is always getting in my way. Where is the ugly one now, Calico? The last time your majesty stumbled over the prison, you commanded me to send him to the metal forest which I did. I suppose he is still there. Very good. The invaders will have a hard time finding the metal forest, said the king, with a grin of malicious delight. For half the time I can't find it myself. Yet I created the forest and made every tree out of gold and silver, so as to keep the precious metals in a safe place and out of reach of mortals. But tell me, Hera, do the strangers want anything else? Yes, indeed they do, returned the gnome. The army of Oogaboo is determined to capture all the rich metals and rare jewels in your kingdom, and the officers and their queen have arranged to divide the spoils and carry them away. When he heard this, Ruggedo uttered a bellow of rage and began dancing up and down, rolling his eyes, clicking his teeth together and swinging his arms furiously. Then, in an ecstasy of anger, he seized the long ears of the hearer, and pulled and twisted them cruelly. But Calico grabbed up the king's scepter, and wrapped him over the head with it.
so that Ruggedo let go the ears and began to chase his royal chamberlain around the throne. The hearer took advantage of this opportunity to slip away from the cavern and escape, and after the king had tired himself out chasing Calico, he threw himself into his throne and panted for breath, while he glared wickedly at his defiant subject. You better save your strength to fight the enemy, suggested Calico. There will be a terrible battle when the army of Oogaboo gets here. The army won't get here, said the king, still coughing and panting. I'll drop em down the hollow tube. Every man, Jack and every girl, Jill of em. And defy Tititihuchu? asked Calico. Yes, go at once to my chief magician and order him to turn the path towards the hollow tube and to make the top of the tube invisible so they'll all fall into it. Calico went away shaking his head for he thought Ruggedo was making a great mistake. He found the magician and had the path twisted so that it led directly to the opening of the hollow tube, and this opening he made invisible. Having obeyed the orders of his master, the royal chamberlain went to his private room and began to write letters of recommendation of himself, stating that he was an honest man, a good servant, and a small eater. Pretty soon, he said to himself, I shall have to look for another job, for it is certain that Ruggedo has ruined himself by this reckless defiance of the mighty Tititihuchu, and in seeking a job, nothing is so effective as a letter of recommendation. <laughs>